Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to News from the Krabby Coffee Shop with your host, Don McLean, from Jason and Alexis in the Morning on My Talk 1071, Garage Logic's newsman, Mr. FYI, John Height, and the crabbiest guy in the coffee shop, Kenny Olson. How long is this music bed? Let's just let the whole thing play out. About 45 more seconds. Because uh, we don't have any news today from news from the Krabby Coffee Shop, and we don't have uh, Miss McLean, who's uh, working on uh, at my talk today, doing some fill-in work. So the only person on the show that's really worth a damn is not here, is that what you're telling me? <laughs> <laughs> it is, this is Don's show, even though I seem to talk uh, too much. Um, but I, actually what I wanted to do, and I had this idea yesterday, I wanted to call Dill, your son, uh, yeah. Dylan, who lives in L.A., and just wake him up and get him out of bed and just start talking to him and not really tell him that we're recording or anything. And uh, <laughs> you start thinking about, well, Dill, is, what, is he 24 now? 26. Jeez, really? Yep. Oh, Dill's 26, and what, what you don't want to do is call anybody in their 20s early <laughs> in the morning and get them out of bed. Um, uh, he so, wouldn't answer anyway. So uh, we set this up ahead of time, and Dylan Hyde is with us. Good morning, Dylan. Morning, guys. How you doing? Uh, well, I'd rather not be here, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and I know John has better things to do, um, but uh, you've uh, been on my mind and been on everybody on GL. Uh, we've been talking about you quite a bit off the air. Uh, and to fill in people who uh, don't listen to GL uh, on a daily basis, uh, Dylan is uh, one hell of a musician and producer and arranger uh, and uh, grew up in a musical household with John, obviously. And uh, I don't know, I suppose you were about 14 or so, Dill, when your your skills surpassed your dad. Would, 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 would you say that, John? <laughs> wow. When did, when did you hear the music from Dill's room and go, Holy crap, that's good. At what age was, was he doing yeah, well, that? Well, it was probably about 10 years ago when I said, boy, I either have to start practicing again or just quit. <laughs> yeah. One of the two after I heard him. <laughs> yeah. Dylan, you uh, have a love for music that is really admirable, and, and you have the, the de- dedication um, and desire to pursue a, a career in music, and that's what you're doing in L.A., and you're, the thing that amazes me the most about you is you've really opened our eyes, both, I think, probably you too, John, 
about how different the music business is these days and the path to success. Um, did you have, how do I even put this? When you want, decided you wanted to get into the business, did you know what approach you were going to take? I think to some extent I did. Um, originally it had started off as me wanting to be a singer-songwriter. Yeah. Um, but as I got older, I realized that, A, my voice isn't great, and B, the amount of time that it takes for me to sit down and actually write a good song lyrically without overthinking it and putting too much time into it was just not worth it. Right. So around the time I was uh, getting out of high school, I decided more so just to focus on the musical side of things and taught myself everything that I could uh, as far as production and, you know, just playing live instruments goes. Um, and I kind of really just zeroed in on that and decided to take that route as opposed to writing lyrics or anything along those lines. Uh, we should mention, by the way, before we get too carried away, that uh, theme at the beginning of this show, Dylan did all that, played all the instruments and wrote that. And a lot of the stuff you hear on GL, the bumps are are his bumps. He put all those together at, a, at his home studio uh, when he was here and, and then some in L.A. also. And uh, when he just talked about that thing, it's amazing how many snippets, for lack of a better word, imaginatively wise, you can come up with. And I guess uh, part of Kenny's question is that just a natural thing that the music, uh, you know, just appears out of nowhere, it seems to me. I mean, I can write some stuff, but just the number of songs that you, I would listen to you daily, just come up with, you know, natural. How does that work? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a very natural process for me. I think just having such big ears um, for so much of my life in part thanks to you obviously um I've, I've been exposed to so many different types of music that ideas will just randomly pop into my head and nothing ever really stays within the confines of one genre so i'm able to branch out and expand um very um effortlessly i would say yeah. see uh, and the way it's changed that i referenced earlier and maybe this was your experience too john when i was in high school, I, I was also part of a, a band, and I played bass. And for me, it was learning other people's songs, and that was the big deal, coming up with a, a set list so you'd have enough songs to go out and get played. And as a bass player, I couldn't even really conceptualize writing a song um, other than doing, like, a basic say you know what a chuck berry song sounds like sure, or sure. you know you can fake that yep. kind of thing and it, it kind of comes from doing scales you just start practicing scales over and over and over to limber up your fingers but dylan the trans the is it the transformation from learning other people's songs to writing songs uh, with you it to, to me is fascinating did that just happen naturally or did you have to focus on it today i want to write something for me you know what i mean yeah definitely um it's it's a little strange because in my case i never really dove into other people's songs too much i mean huh. there's a handful of songs that 
I love and I wanted to know what this person was playing or how they were playing it or what they were doing um, in certain instances. But for the most part, I've always just let my mind wander and kind of just come up with my own riffs and then I'll just start playing off of one riff and start layering and add another layer and another layer on top of that. Wow. Wow. I get to. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can, uh, I'm witness that there are songs, for instance, I've heard Paranoid by Black Sabbath (laughs) a million times just from his playing. Oh, really? Yes. But I think the other thing too, that helps, he put together this huge recording facility at home here. Yeah. Which we didn't we didn't have, you know, so we, we couldn't if we were right. gonna write a song with all those instruments we'd have had to have taken months oh, to yeah. put together. Yeah. So and with I think with this generation and, and him especially because he was so good at editing, et cetera, et cetera, he was able to start putting together what he heard in his mind. And by the way, he's got that big ears thing, he said he's got great ears. So when he hears something, I would in an hour or two he'll be able to play it if it's a song he wants to learn. Okay, so that's what really irritates me, because when I was a kid in high school, (laughs) we're looking at songs to play, and when you really start, like for me, I started paying attention to Rush songs, because Rush was really popular. And uh, as soon as you started hitting rewind and play and rewind and play, and then you try to move that to the fretboard, you realize, no, never going to be able to play this song ever there's no way not only can i not play it i can't sing it and play it at the same time um so i've always had great respect for guys that can just pick it up by ear that's amazing to me and i I, i'm guessing um john's collection is i mean there's everything from classical to jazz to blues to awful beatles songs to awful whole hall and oats and, and really good steely dan that had to be really helpful. Absolutely, yeah. Like, going back to what I was saying earlier um, about the big ears thing, I think I just grew up around so many different types of music and hearing so many different types of music around the house, like on a daily basis, um, that it really opened my mind and my ears at a young age to a lot of different sounds and styles and where you could take a song um, outside of the traditional sense of songwriting, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. How are your chops on the keyboard? Can you play a piano? I can. Uh, it's not my favorite thing in the world to do, but I can definitely get around a keyboard or a piano if I need to. Uh, your guitar, the guitar is still your main instrument. Definitely. Guitar, bass, um, more so as of late, drums as well. How do you hear... And you also do a lot of hip hop stuff, and um, the, the fellow you work with, Dylan Reese, is um, I, I really love, and I don't know how to categorize him. I, I, I hate to. Oh, how do you categorize Dylan? <laughs> Instead of me trying, what would you consider his genre? Uh, for the most part, R and B. Um, definitely strong influences of that. You know, late nineties, mid two thousands neo soul sound. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, some hip-hop and some rap sprinkled in the mix as well. F- flavored in. Definitely. Yeah. How do you guys hear that? Where I, I don't understand where those concepts come from. I think for the most part, and, and this developed over, you know, 
us beginning to work together and me kind of figuring out where his influences were coming from. Right. Um, he's a huge, huge uh, neo soul fan. Artists like D'Angelo, uh, Jamarquai. Um, sure. You know, everybody from that that era. So it really took me a while to figure out how to craft and create songs uh, inspired by those artists and artists along those lines. Um, but it, it was definitely a process um, to fit to get the sound to where it's at now. One other thing, too, since you're talking about the process and that kind of thing, I, again, was witness. We talk about him having good ears and being a really good musician, but he worked, and I'm sure he still does, but when he lived here, tirelessly at everything. I would hear him go over guitar parts for 45 minutes that he wanted to either perfect or maybe to learn off a record or write himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of musicians, including me, get really lazy when they practice and he does not he's his work ethic is incredible so i'm sure part of uh, learning dylan reese's stuff or what where his mind was at anyway was just delving into everything that was going on and not letting it slide just uh, again amazing work ethic is the point i'm trying to make here as a musician yeah that that is amazing have you ever encountered an artist you wanted to learn his stuff did, did you ever have the getty lee problem that i did <laughs> Where you've just said, nope, not not today, Satan. <laughs> I have, uh, definitely a few times. Um, there's certain guitarists, for sure. Um, guitarists like Randy Rhodes. Um, really? Where, yeah, I'll try and I'll, I'll look at a solo, and what he's doing is so far out of the box that my brain just, I, I just can't wrap my head around what he's doing, and it's it's one of those things where I just look at the tab or, I'm listening to it, and I just go, yeah, maybe we'll come back to that one at some point, but probably not. It's so funny you brought up Randy Rhodes because uh, I was seriously depressed. Um, I was a kid when I, you know, in this band when that when that plane crash happened, and that was a big time bummer. And we always thought he was amazing, but you know what did we know? We were a bunch of teenagers into Ozzy, you know. Yeah, definitely. He's. To me, he's one of those guys that is a guitarist, but he's so much more than that because the influence of classical music that you hear him bring to an electric guitar right. is absolutely mind-boggling to me. Yeah. Because those two things, especially the style of music that he was playing, just don't feel like they should go hand-in-hand hand as well as they do when you hear him playing them together. Yeah. Undefinable as a player, I always thought. You liked him too, huh, John? I, I did. I mean, I'm not a huge metal guy. No. Uh, but it's the thing with me is his style was so, like Dylan said, off the off the charts compared to other guys. You, you oh. couldn't sit and say, you know. He's what a, about, he's um, who are these really fast guys? Steve Vai, is he one of them? He's one of the fast guys, right? And there's a few other guys that are sure. r- really, really fast. And to me, they... Uh, lack emotion and i don't know if that's the right thing to say but it's they seem like they're fast for fast sake what are your thoughts there dill uh i totally agree with that statement um there's definitely a great number of guitar players that can play fast and technically they're incredibly talented but to me some of it just loses that 
human emotion aspect of guitar playing, which is why I love playing guitar. Right. Um, I want to connect with whoever's listening to me when I'm playing. And I think through that speed, sometimes you just lose that human feeling. It's almost uh, like a robot or a computer, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, and sometimes it's not musical. And, and not, not to pick on Steve Vai, uh, but you see him on stage and he's got a great personality but I don't always see that coming through in his guitar playing. He's a funny guy. He's yeah. Know, I he's don't loose, mean to rip him. I, yeah, yeah, I don't want to. No, rip I know him. exactly what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, where do you see your? This is I hate this question, <laughs> but I really want to know what your motives are and what you want to end up doing. Is this leading to something? And what what is it? Ideally, in a perfect world, I would like to land in some sort of production uh, recording deal um, where, you know, if there's an artist in a studio session somewhere, you know, a studio or the artist is able to give me a call and just say, hey, can you come in? We need you to play this drum beat or we need you to make three beats on the spot for this artist or play this guitar solo, whatever it may be. Um, that would be in a perfect world, what I would love to do. And there are still deals that labels will offer producers um, along those lines. So ideally that that's where I'd like to end up. Have you done any of that other than with fellas, you know, um, not with any real major label artists. Um, definitely some indie artists, but nothing with major label artists yet. House musician, what do you feel? Would you would you uh, would you like to be one of the swampers? <laughs> like to, you know, you know what I mean? The, the, to me, the guys that worked, um, they were the Muscle Shoals guys, right? The swampers. Yeah. To me, those guys are absolutely amazing. That they played on so many hits, so many songs, so many records, and went home to their house and wife and kid every night. That to me is just amazing. Um, does would that appeal to you? Just show up at LA Sound every day or whatever the studio is now. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. That would be the ideal scenario again. Unfortunately, that's a generation ago, Kenny. Yeah. Uh, the, the the studio musician, studio guitarist, uh, 70s, 80s, a little bit into the 90s, that was that was the deal. Now that doesn't really exist in that form. Uh, unless a, a good way, and I, Dylan and I have talked about this, obviously. You Obviously, if you, if you had a chance in a perfect world, you'd love to have your own little studio too, correct? And, Definitely, and produce, yeah. produce people from your studio, help them musically, et cetera, et cetera. Of course. Because uh, the studio musician idea is is kind of gone. Uh, even though Dylan has, I've heard Dylan do uh, guitar solos for people who send their music to him. Yeah. In that, in that way, it's still done. But the Swampers, something like that, just it doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. Or the L.A. scene, which is where a lot of my favorite guitarists. That's, when I was Dylan's age, I wanted to be a studio guitarist. I wanted to be Larry Carlton, Jeff Baxter. Those guys, they just they got hired, showed up in the studio, played their part, went home, like you said. So the, the, the situation I'm thinking about is uh, Steely and Dan. 
Oh, yeah. And yeah. the way they created music, those two guys, to me, was absolutely amazing. They would have four different guitar players come in, lay down a solo and send them home, and then later pick one. Yeah. Um, and, and that always seemed really cool to me. The uh, classic story is uh, Peg, the solo on Peg, like they had nine different guys play it, and all big shot studio guitarists from that era just didn't like it. Just, I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like that. And, Finally, and, and found one guy to play it. It wasn't because they were bad. They were all amazing, I'm sure, right? Yeah, just just not what they were looking for. <laughs> and um, is, that, is that the song, John, where it's, the solo is just basically one string kind of really no, it's, simple it's pretty, and basic or am i thinking of a different solo it's a pretty sophisticated solo oh, Jay Graydon ended up uh, playing it although the, the story is that walter becker always had a saying he would tell people when they because steely dan had this reputation you know come play fancy and walter becker would walk up and whisper in their ear just play the blues oh and so so jay Graydon said that's what becker told him he said so that's how he entered in his mind, the thing, but it's much more than a blues solo. It's a great solo. Dale, would, would you agree it's a pretty pretty cool, sophisticated solo? Absolutely, yeah. I just listened to that song last night at one thirty in the morning. I couldn't <laughs> sleep. I was oh, listening God. to music all night. Uh, and, and a sidebar, and um, I thought about this last night. Dylan, uh, are we still calling Steely Dan Steely Dan? Oh, here we go. Here we yeah, go. of course. We are okay. Even though there's only one guy up there, that... here we go. I, I mean, we are. It's it's not the same, and it's one of those deals where I don't know that I ever need to see him in concert again. But yeah. there's still Steely Dan in my heart. Okay, all right. I'll uh, I'll acquiesce. You guys, are, <laughs> you guys are right. So you say that I saw a tweet of yours a couple of days ago where you were kind of uh, ruminating and uh, upset with yourself because you hadn't produced any new songs as of late you were kind of uninspired and i would call it writer's block is do you have a method to get out of that or do you just set the guitar all the instruments down and spend a few days away from it how do you turn that around what i try and do is just completely remove myself from any musical thought because i know if i continue to try and force myself to write something everything that i write i'm going to hate right um i mean forcing it just doesn't work i mean for some people it might but for me it doesn't work at all so i'll set the guitar down i'll set the bass down i won't try and make any beats nothing like that and just try and do some stuff outside of music that might or might not influence me uh musically um so yeah, that's... let me give you a scenario then. Okay, um, you get uh, an MP3 in the mail, or not in the mail, uh, email, from a guy who's heard of you, and he says, uh, I need a solo. I need a 45-second solo over this part, and I need it by 8 a.m. tomorrow. And it's it's 6 o'clock tonight. He needs it by 8 a.m. tomorrow. How is that going to work out for you? Are you going to be able to do that? Yeah, in situations like that, I think... It's a lot easier for me to uh, create, as weird as that sounds. No, I understand it completely. That's why I asked. It's it's easier for me to take someone else's idea and add to it or further it than it yeah. is for me to try and write something from scratch if I'm just not feeling inspired. Yeah, I, 
I completely understand that. In my writing these days is strictly ad copy. And uh, I've been doing it my whole life, and it should be easy. But there are times when I can't come up with the opening, the first thing I want to say. And I'll end up calling the client, and they'll say three things. They'll say three words, and I'll think, oh, hang up. I got it. That's it. And, and I've also found if, like, Reavers tells me, we start at noon, and Reavers tells me at 10 to 12, oh, by the way, you have to do this client today, and I've got nothing. I always write better under pressure. I can turn my headphones down, not listen to those idiots, and come up with something in two minutes. Whereas if I had all day, I couldn't do it. You know yeah. what I mean? That 100%. pressure. Yeah. Yeah, the, the pressure definitely adds some fuel to the fire, too. Yeah. Well, why um, don't you just start like Rook and say, hey, it's spring. See, that's 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 what I'm trying not to do, John. He'll never listen to this, right? He won't know. No, he won't. He won't. See, know. it's trying to get away from those cliches and still be clever. Uh, so, do you ever on days like that where you've got nothing, your head is empty? Do you ever just sit down and play other people's stuff? Just noodle. You ever just relax on the couch with a guitar and watch a game and noodle? Yeah, definitely. I think that actually maybe the one instance of doing something musical when I'm feeling uninspired that kind of helps to remove me from that writer's block. If I yeah. just throw on, I don't know, we'll, we'll say the Almond Brothers or the Grateful Dead, for example, and just like noodle around uh, some of their songs. Oh. Definitely helps me get a little more inspired. I'm so glad you brought up the Almond. You just, uh, the Almond Brothers, you just triggered something. Um, how are you with Frank Zappa? <laughs> Uh, there's definitely some of his music that I love, um, and some of it is just way too out there for me. Out there for uh, out there's sake, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I was, for some reason, I dived into Frank Zappa last night and discovered a whole bunch of cover songs that Zappa <laughs> did, including uh, what's the Allman Brothers, uh, the big hit? Whipping Post. Yeah, including Whipping Post. And Dylan, have you heard it? I have not. I am interested in hearing it now, though, that you said uh, that. A, a live version. And it was mechanical and awful. Uh, <laughs> it, he, didn't, he didn't sing it. One of the other guys sang it. And, and Zappa would just come in over the top of everybody and do little stuff on the, on the guitar. And his parts were fine. And then they did uh, Stairway to Heaven. Uh, I didn't even get into the th th first three minutes of that. And then they do like a Beatles medley, too. Um, but some of Frank's original work is just absolutely amazing. And the players he had, John, they must have been phenomenal players well, at, at the time, right? Funny you should mention that. I believe that version of Whipping Post that's popular, uh, his guitarist at the time was Steve Vai. <laughs> really? Yes. So it was Frank and Steve Vai playing the guitars. Uh, the guy who I, I was, could be wrong, but I think that's the guy right. that was singing it was on the keyboards, and he wasn't wearing a shirt, and it made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, but when you listen to his other music, um, the the musicians and the lyrics and stuff, really interesting cat, R really uh, really interesting. So jazz wise, who are you into uh, jazz wise? Who who do you like there in the jazz field? Oh man, jazz wise. Um... That Obviously, should be a band, Jazzwise. Yeah. Jazz that is a great band name. Jazzwise, yeah. <laughs> Might have to steal that. Uh, 
No, jazz-wise, a um, lot of legends, Miles Davis, Coltrane, uh, Chet Baker. I'm also into a lot of the more out there, like acid jazz kind of stuff, uh, artists like Sun Ra. Okay, that's that's right where I was going, Dill. You read my mind. What are your thoughts on Sun Ra? <laughs> I love them. I really? Absolutely love them. Yeah, I remember discovering, and I can't remember the name of the album right now, but there's an album, I can see the cover in my head, that I found in high school, and it was so different to the traditional jazz that I had heard up to that point in my life, and I just yeah. fell in love with the sound immediately. Really? Mm-hmm. It seems like, to me, I was in a in a high school band, marching band, and before the teacher walks in, everybody's warming up and making noise and doing their own thing. That's sunrod to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I don't hear any hooks. I don't hear any rhythm. Uh, there's just it's just blaring to me. John, where are you at on sunrod? Uh, I was not uh, ever a big sunrod uh, fan. Although I think if you if you look and think of it as being him winking at you a little bit with tongue in cheek, I think then you have a little better appreciation of it because yeah. I don't think he was always serious about what he was doing. Although he was serious about, you know, his sound, but uh Ornette I, I, Coleman I was not a huge fan. You guys are Ornette Coleman fans? I, I like Ornette Coleman, yes. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Multi instrumentalist there. Yeah. Um late Coltrane, when uh, Coltrane started getting weird <laughs> in the studio. How how are you with that? Love it. Do you? Yeah, me, me yeah. too. Yeah. I, it's it's funny. Um, I'm actually actually happy this came up, especially after talking about Zappa earlier. The older I get, the more I love experimental music or just people using non-traditional sounds or arrangements for songs. If that makes sense. Oh, now you're getting into John and I's favorite. It's Tom <laughs> Waits. Oh, oh, love him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he'll he'll take two blocks up on stage and bang away on those things and make it sound fantastic. Mm -hmm. I, I I love Tom Waits. Have you ever seen him? I have not, unfortunately. I think you have a better chance at seeing Tom Waits living in L.A. than uh, John and I do seeing him again. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Tom wants to go out anymore. Yeah, Tom likes to stay home. I don't blame yeah. him, but he's one of those guys, along with Miles Davis who just keeps on changing. He's just not happy singing um, Old 55, you know, his whole life. Yeah. Uh, and that brings me to, have you followed Miles Davis's kind of his musical direction from the 70s up until the time he died? I have a bit, um, but I haven't really dove into a lot of his later recordings. Yeah. He changed, it seemed like every album he changed a little yeah. bit, always evolving, never happy, never resting on his laurels. So I do, I, I like that, though. Yeah. Well, it, it's got to make it interesting. I was going to ask you, so um, say you write a hit song, and this comes from watching um, YouTube overnight. You, you write a hit song this year. It goes to the top of the charts. It stays there for a long time. Could you see yourself doing that song in 20 years from now? <laughs> uh, I feel like you almost have to at that point, you know? If it's a song that stands the test of time and people still want to hear it 20 years from now, I, yeah. I would feel bad not, not giving people what they want to hear. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I like that. As your father, I like that answer a lot. Do you? <laughs> I do. I think I think as a, an artist, you have to do that. The, the one guy I always fall back on for that is Mellencamp, who's who's just a bastard. He you know, he's he, he doesn't like anything or anyone. But the one thing he says is, somebody comes to my concert and they want to hear me play a song that's forty years old, and it was a big hit. I'm going to do it. He said, I I I owe them that, yeah. and I agree completely. Yeah. Um, if a big act came calling, um, Jill, and I mean a big national touring act, tour the world in uh, big arenas, would you go out with them? You just getting getting. What do those guys make these days? Three hundred a day. Would you? Would I, I don't. Three hundred a day. I honestly don't know what touring musicians and backup bands make. Um, so that's just a guess. Would you go out for a year and a half on the road with a big act? Absolutely. What if it was Miley Cyrus? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, in that situation, I, I think I would still say yes, because I know musically I'm still going to have fun doing whatever I'm doing. If I'm playing guitar, I'm still, you know, going to have a lot of fun with it. Lizzo. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially, I mean, she's from the Twin Cities, you know. Got to support the hometown. <laughs> uh, whatever incarnation, what's the Sweet Home Alabama, what's that band? They're still Skinner. out there. Yeah, Skinner. Skinner. Going to go out with Skinner, Dill? Definitely. <laughs> um, that's interesting. Um, so happiness, uh, how do I put this? Um your happiness isn't important to you? You think you could be happy playing, wow. playing Skinner songs four nights out of the week? I, I should mention, he loves Skinner as much as I do, so he'd probably be very happy. Really? Uh, let me pick somebody I don't else. To answer. I don't mean to answer for you, Dill. But... 38 Special, Lover Boy. You know, let, let me <laughs> throw some of those names out there. Lover Boy, we're, we're going to go ahead and pass on. Uh, Good, thank you. I, I think we could, we could do that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. What are your future plans, sir? <laughs> what do you got uh, on your schedule for the next 30 days? Well, currently I am working on an album uh, with Dylan Reese. Uh, I've been doing some production for him. Uh, other than that, I'm in the process of taking care of a bunch of studio work that I've been putting off for far too long, playing bass lines, uh, guitar solos, drum parts on different records for some independent artists. Um, I recently got together with a band that I grew up listening to, actually, by the name of Academy. A um, bit oh. more of a, a reggae pop influence band there. That's um, got to be been... a cool experience since you've been listening to them forever. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was a bit of a dream come true. Felt very surreal uh, the first time that I got together with them at their <laughs> studio. Um, but yeah, we've been working... You yeah. didn't fanboy, did you? Like Reavers? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> you were there that day, right? You learned a well, valuable he, he lesson. What Dill was trying to, I was going to introduce him to Loris, and basically Reavers pushed Dill out of the way. Okay, <laughs> good. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good life lesson that day, Dill. <laughs> that was. <laughs> Never act like Reavers when Gary Loris walks in the room. Exactly. <laughs> So you're actually going to work with them. That's got to be fun, man. Yeah, yeah. Very, very surreal experience. Um, it started off as us just trading some messages back and forth on Instagram. And once they realized that I was in L.A., they said, 
you know, let's get together and see what we can do. And I ended up going to their studio. I brought, you know, maybe 15 beats with me that I had already had made at some point, And they en- ended up uh, taking 11 of the 15 for me. Wow. Nice. Yeah, and and that, so, uh, so all those will be hit records and dad can retire soon? <laughs> well, ideally. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, Dill, um, don't be surprised if your mom and dad show up in your doorstep. Uh, uh, I've been turning the screws to those guys every day. I ask John, why are you still living here? Do you see the, do you see that picture Dill posted from the ballpark? Do you see that oh, picture no. Dill with the skateboard down at the beach? What are you yeah. still doing here? <laughs> hey, you're, you're not wrong. You got to be crazy to uh, stick around for that winter. <laughs> oh man, it was so brutal this year. No. Oh, Dill, Dylan awful. loves winter. He's lying. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> not so much. Well, is there anything else? Anything you need to get off your chest? Uh, you need to loan a hundred bucks from Pops uh, before we <laughs> left last week. <laughs> uh, not that I can think of off the top of my head. No. Well, good luck. Oh, uh, one more thing. This thing you do for both the Krabby Coffee Shop and uh, uh, GL, where you provide us with music and opens and clothes and bumpers and stuff, does uh, uh, is that a gig? Could that could that be? <laughs> and I guess the real question is production music. Is there any money in just creating production music for radio stations, St- stuff music beds that you hear under commercials and stuff like that? Um is is that ever crossed your mind? It has, and I do have a, a few friends that make a good living uh, with what what they're called as sync placements. Um, you know, when it comes to television or film or whatever else, um, there's definitely good money in it. Um, it's just really hard to get your foot in the door. Okay, does that include actually doing movies? Where yeah. you sit down with raw video and create the music that runs underneath? Yeah, yep, same kind of deal. Um, that's more on the sound design side of things, but more or less the same deal. That would be fascinating. That would yeah. be that. That's got to be fun. And but you you have to produce. This isn't something you can sit around and dream about all day long. They're going to give you 30, 40 minutes of uh, raw footage. You've got to send that out the next day with music under it, right? Absolutely. That could be interesting. Interesting gig. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else, John? I got nothing. Really? I talk to him, you know, three times a week. All right. (laughs) Any advice to youngsters, people uh, younger than you in uh, high school that want to get into the business besides practice nine ten hours a day uh, we didn't we didn't cover that at all i wanted to mention that guys like you that have made it and that are st- still working at it practice literally eight to ten hours a day every day correct correct yeah yeah um most days i'm practicing at least you know if i have the time five to six hours minimum um yeah. whether it's on guitar or going from guitar to bass guitar to drums guitar to hip-hop production whatever it may be yeah wow witness to that i I can i can tell you yes he did that here all the time yeah eight hours a day would not be unusual 
John, isn't it amazing how it's changed since we were kids? Uh, yeah. For for us, it was get in a band, practice, try to get gigs. Hopefully, um, an A and R weasel will see you. Mm-hmm. Have four or five originals. Try, you know, try to get a demo tape out. It's it's nothing like that it's anymore. Completely the opposite, pretty much. <laughs> well, we're all very proud of you, Dill, um, and wish you continued success. Keep working at it. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, that was, Talk uh, to you later, bud. <laughs> Talk to you later, guys. Thanks for having me on today. All right, Dylan. Yep. Um, well, I hope that was enjoyable. Those were all things, John, basically that I would have asked Dylan, um, like, say, if he had showed up at the State Fair to it's, play with us. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? This is all stuff that I would just ask him sitting around. <laughs> I know. I know. But I can't just call him and say, hey, Dylan, it's Kenny. i got a, got a million questions <laughs> got for a few you. questions. Yeah. yeah. You busy? <laughs> uh, folks, DKMags.com, they have a permit-to-carry class coming up at the Metro Gun Club. That's up in Blaine. This class coming up uh, pretty soon, actually, May 15th. That's next Monday from 2.30 to 6.30 p.m. For more information, get in on this class. You can log on to dkmags.com. Get that phone number and then ring them up and make sure your name is on the list. Meanwhile, if you're already a firearm owner and you're looking to add to your collection, I hope you've been to DK Mags. Uh, You'll absolutely love the shop if you haven't. They're on Old Aid up in New Brighton, a wonderful staff. They're very, um, I wasn't going to say gentle, but very, they're not pricks, okay? That's what. That's just what I wanted to say. Well, then, right uh, to the point. I, I couldn't come up with the right words. They're kind, real, yeah, nice. Yeah, they're, they're, they're all of that, but more importantly, they're not pricks. Um, it's a wonderful staff. They have a great selection, fair prices. You're going to find firearms, ammo, uh, magazines, parts, and accessories, everything you need to find. And if you're in the Monticello area, be sure to slip into Monticello Pawn and Gun. There, You'll find all the firearms-related stuff, too, but you're going to see electronics, tools and all sorts of crazy items i like to little tip here i like to stop into monticello pawn and gun and pick up a a pocket knife or two i love having pocket knives and they always have a nice selection i believe they're all uh they're also hiring right now so if you need a gig you're in the area 763-295-6955 or just stop in and fill out an application they're south of 94 on 25 in monticello well that was fun john um we got a few minutes right yeah I just got a question. Um, I want to keep it on a musical scale, if you don't mind. Please. No no pun intended. Uh, last week, Ross presented us with the Naomi Judd thing, and she and he said, I wonder if uh, there's any artists who have ever died that affected you. Then you just brought up the Randy Rhodes thing when you were younger. I was too embarrassed to bring it up because I, I didn't realize that Randy Rhodes still had the respect that he does. Oh, in the guitar world, he's extremely, he yeah, okay. extremely, uh, yeah, still, still well loved. Yeah, has there, have there been artists? And I don't mean to put you on the spot here. Who you would, oh, you know? Um, believe it or not, the first one was Elvis, and it was Elvis because my mom was so into Elvis when I was a little mm-hmm. kid, and the first songs, the first singles that I started listening to, and literally on a plastic play school record thing sure. were uh, Elvis singles. Mm-hmm. And then she had some Beatles albums, Rolling Stone albums, Honky Chateau, uh, Elton John. Um, so it was it was Elvis. And, and 
Um, Kurt Cobain, and I got to tell you, when Kurt died, I I was really PO'd, and I, I was on the air, and I said some really bad things about Oops. Kurt because yeah. I was so upset. Yeah. Um, and I didn't I, I didn't understand what he had been going through, and uh, I didn't understand what I do now about suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, so that really affected me. Um, so yeah, yeah. There. What okay. about you? Uh, well, the first one to—I mean, Elvis to me was—it was a big deal, but I don't think it affected me emotionally. That was my first bulletin on radio, by the way, that I ever got to do. Really? Was, that's how old I am. Yes, his death. Uh, John Lennon—that uh, death, obviously, just because it was so shocking uh, and yeah. weird. Yeah, I then, remember uh, that one. I, I actually it, remember right where I was, John, when too. I heard the announcement on the radio. Me I know too. right where I was. Weird. I was bowling. At the Midway Lanes in Mandan, North Dakota, a band called Champ was playing. Uh, three of those people, or two of those people now live in Minneapolis and play in the area. Uh, and I let them know because they were good buddies of mine. Uh, Dean Weiser, who has the Dean Weiser band in the Twin Cities, was the drummer. And we still talk about that every time we get together. Huh. Uh, but anyway, uh, the, I guess musician deaths always kind of affect me in a weird way just because, you know, I'm, if it's somebody I like, I'm sad or whatever. But not... Horribly, but there was one, and I'll tell you why. It was a cumulative thing. This, strangely enough, this was a topic on. Uh, I did that podcast with uh, Mishki and yeah. Ryan Oak. Yeah, we did this topic, and and uh, this is the first time I ever realized it. Back in 2017, Greg Allman died. Right. Then, uh, not too much after that, Walter Becker died. Right. And then in October, Tom Petty died. Three of my favorite bands ever. That's I mean, three amazing. of my favorite musicians ever. Yeah. So within a space of five months, and when, I guess, yeah, I was really sad when Allman and Becker died, but then when Petty died, it just kind of hit me like a load of bricks. Like Nobody was oh, ready man. for that. No, not at all. Not at all. So I guess emotionally, that's probably the one. Even to this day, the Petty death bugs me a lot. It, it just, it, it, it's like you go to, are you sure you got the right one, God? Are, are yeah, you sure, exactly. Petty? Because exactly. it just, it didn't make sense. Well, um, I went back and listened to all of his stuff, and you know he's he was always kind of there, so you kind of took him for granted. I went back and I listened and went, "Holy bleep! This it, guy was one of the best rock songwriters ever." Isn't that amazing? Same yeah, thing it, happened to me with Petty. He's always there, and it's like, "Oh yeah, another Tom Petty yeah. song." And the but then he's gone, and you start you listen to what he did, and you listen closely, and then you start thinking, "We'll never we'll never have that opportunity yeah. for more." And even his, his later stuff, which didn't appear on the radio, was just as good. He never never faltered as a songwriter and as an artist, which which is amazing in the rock and roll world. But yeah, I guess that's the one. When I saw Ross's note last week, I went, "Yeah, it's it's the Tom Petty one still." I mean, coupled with the Greg Allman and Walter Becker. Ross, you're much younger than us. Um, anybody affect you? Uh, anybody tip out of the canoe and it just screwed up your whole <laughs> screwed up your whole day? No, you? to this point, that really hasn't happened, and that's kind of why I posed that question to you guys via email. I. I Oddly, I don't get, even if I love whether it be an actor or the musician and I know all their music or love their shows, I never truly feel like, and this is probably a a discredit to me, even though I know them through their music, which is a personal way to get to know somebody, I don't feel like I know them. So when they pass away, I'll go, well, I mean, all the records are still here. I can just listen to those. I do know, looking at my crystal ball, I can surmise just because of what he means to my family and my past and present and just 
how many times I've seen him. I do know in 45 years when Paul McCartney tips out of the canoe, <laughs> that one will affect me. And you know me, I'm, I'm a big Green Day guy, so when any of those three or now four pass away, hopefully 80 years from now, those will probably affect me a little bit. But no, I've often thought that I'm weird because I don't get emotional about these things, and that's why I pose the question. Uh, trust me, something's going to come along in your life, and it's going to trigger something, and uh, it'll affect you more than it should. Yeah. Um, because I was I was cold like that for a long time, Ross. You know, the man that couldn't cry, uh, and then something happened, and you, you know, you hear about people having mental breakdowns. Um, they're real. <laughs> trust me. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting you brought up McCartney because he probably is. I would probably say my favorite musician ever. So when he, if he tips before I do, it's going to be, it'll be emotional for me. I, Go ahead, Ross. No, I just, I told somebody recently with Law and Order being rebooted or season 21, Sam <laughs> Waterston came back and he's in his 80s. Paul McCartney, I believe, just hit 80. Yeah, I told somebody, did. I said, in 40 years, I'm going to be living in a home and Sam Waterston is going to be doing Law and Order Mars. And Paul McCartney at 120 will still be selling out stadiums. Yeah, it just, they just seem, nothing seems to get to them. Yeah. John McCartney is one of those guys where I've been listening to Beatles songs my whole life and never tried to play really any of them. Yeah. And uh, I, I got this uh, this Hofner Be- Beetle bass, you know, yeah. they call them the Beetle bass. <laughs> sure. And uh, so I started noodling around with it, and I thought, oh, you know what? I've got a brilliant idea. I'm going to learn a Beatles song. And you start, <laughs> so you download the tabs and everything, and you look at it and go, huh, really? Yeah. Uh, and then you listen to it, and you yeah. follow along, and you go, no, nah, I'm not learning this yeah, song. Those, I got no shot. Parts. He yeah. is one of the most amazing bass players to ever walk the planet. And I would agree. And if you don't listen closely, you don't realize that because it yeah. doesn't stand out. Yeah. Also, yeah. fine guitar. It's a drummer and piano player. He, well, he, he didn't start life as a bass player, did he? No, he was a guitar player. Yeah. It, it was a necessity. The Beatles needed yeah. a bass player. Yeah. And isn't it funny? He went from the lightest bass guitar there is to the heaviest. Do you ever, you ever strap on a Rickenbacker bass? Rickenbacker. Yeah. It's like carrying a, around a big cement block. They're really <laughs> heavy. He should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame three different times for the Beatles, for Paul McCartney, and for Paul McCartney and Wings. He should have three different inductions. I love how in the early Wings um, songs, he used kind of the same formula that they used in some of the Beatles songs and John you have I we've talked about this off the air where um the Beatles they'll have three songs within one song yeah. and and you find that a, a lot in those early wing songs uh who is the Denny uh Denny 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 Lane. Denny Lane yeah Denny Lane great guitar player yeah. yep all right well uh, I've got nothing John you yeah, done I'm good I'm done bring up the music Ross um, too. Next week, John, <laughs> Seven and, seconds. John and I will be gone next week, and uh, Dawn McLean <laughs> is going to do the show all by herself. Thanks Have fun, Dawn. To news from the Crabby Coffee Shop. New episodes drop every week wherever you get your podcasts.